given this perfect storm of human error, mistakes, and miscommunications by all involved that day, the evidence did not indicate criminal conduct by police. Oh, boy. So much for sailing off into an easy New Year's, right? Well, anyway, welcome to it. You found the broadcast. As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 91.7 FM KYAQFM on the Oregon Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove, Oregon, on 93FM WLRI Lancaster, PA, 88.5FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, and coast-to-coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, the TuneIn app, on iTunes, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, the awesome RadioOrNot.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, and Radio Sputnik five days a week. It's usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog uh, of Bradblog.com, but today, once again, you've got me, Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, pulling the guest host duties. I know, easy for me to say, right? Well, unfortunately, the year is ending on an ugly note, as once again, justice has not been served. Just as we were putting the show together yesterday came the breaking news out of Cleveland that no charges would be filed in the death by cop of 12-year-old Tamir Rice. Here's the report from NBC News. The moment before Tamir Rice was shot and killed by Cleveland police last year, the county prosecutor says the 12-year-old tried to show the cops his gun was fake. But the two officers didn't know that and feared for their lives. There will be no indictment. Given this perfect storm of human error, mistakes and miscommunications by all involved that day, the evidence did not indicate criminal conduct by police. The 911 call reported a gunman in the park, but the prosecutor says dispatch never relayed critical details that Rice was likely a minor and likely carrying a toy. That toy, an airsoft replica of a Colt, looks a lot like the real thing. They are very difficult to tell apart, even by people who are very familiar with guns, even when you stand and stare at it. Today, Rice's family says they are saddened but not surprised by the decision. Someone other than the elected county official who works very closely with law enforcement officers of this community day in and day out should have probably made that decision. Rice's death sparked protests in Cleveland and added fuel to ongoing demonstrations around the country. Two weeks before, officials in Ferguson, Missouri said the officer who shot Michael Brown would not be criminally charged. Today, the county prosecutor called Rice's death an absolute tragedy, adding civil action may provide the accountability he said the family deserves. Stephanie Gosk, NBC News, New York. Honestly. It seems as if this was a foregone conclusion. Cuyahoga County Prosecutor Tim McGinty apparently, or allegedly, I should say, 
had no interest in prosecuting the killer cop and got just what he set out to get. As a, a, an attorney friend once said, a prosecutor who wants to can get an indictment on a ham sandwich or something like that. You get the idea. We need changes. We need big changes. The first order of business should be that any time a police officer is implicated in the killing of a citizen, the prosecutor is recused and an independent prosecutor, preferably from somewhere on the other side of the country, is brought in because there's something really fishy in Cleveland. I also don't know what took them so long. Charles M. Blow wrote all we needed to know about this case in an op-ed for the New York Times on January 11th. It was just two months after Tamir Rice was killed. Now, this op-ed is making the rounds again today, and for good reason. I'm going to share it with you here on the broadcast. Again, dateline, January 11th, 2015. Charles M. Blow, writing in the New York Times. An extended video released last week of the shooting death of Tamir Rice in Cleveland appears to show an unconscionable level of human depravity on the part of the officer who shot him, a stunning disregard for the value of his life, and a callousness toward the people who loved him. His black life didn't seem to matter, but it does. On November 22nd, two officers responded to a 911 call about a guy in a park pointing a gun that was, quote, probably fake. By the way, Ohio is an open carry state, so having and carrying a gun is not a crime in and of itself. The guy was Tamir. He had a pellet gun. There is no indication in police statements that he ever fired it. One of the officers, Timothy Lohman, shot Tamir within 1.5 to 2 seconds of arriving at the park. Two seconds. So quickly. In the blink of an eye. And yet, according to the Associated Press, the officers say that they ordered Tamir to put his hands up three times before he was shot. According to the original statement released by the police, quote, the suspect did not comply with the officer's orders and reached to his waistband for the gun. All in one and a half to two seconds? Really? Take a moment and time yourself giving three commands, imagining a response from Tamir and making the decision to shoot. Maybe it can be done in less than two seconds, but to my mind, it strains credulity. When one of the officers called in the shooting, he said, Shots fired, mail down, black male, maybe 20. Tamir was 12. Tamir's 14-year-old sister, Tajai, was in a nearby recreation center when she said she heard a gunshot. She said someone told her that a boy had been shot, her own brother. She raced to his aid, but as the video shows, one of the officers tackled her, handcuffed her, and stuffed her into the back of the police cruiser, just feet away from where her brother was bleeding out onto the snow-dappled ground. She could not reach him. Her arms could not cradle his body and plead for him to hang on. Her hands couldn't stroke his cheek, and she couldn't whisper, hopefully, it's going to be okay. Her eyes could not gaze into his and say what sisters are able to say without saying anything. I love you. Tamir deserved that, but the officers made sure that she could not provide it. Four minutes passed without anyone offering the boy aid or comfort. Four long minutes he lay there, still alive, 
with the burn of a bullet in his abdomen. How excruciating must the pain have been. How slowly must the time have passed. How great must his fear and sadness have been. What must Tamir have thought as the officers hovered about, not helping him? Hopefully, events to the contrary, he didn't think that his life didn't matter. It did, and it does. Tamir died from his wound the next day. It's hard to think of the gravely injured boy and the aloof officers who'd done the deed but withheld their help and not reach a white-hot level of righteous indignation. Tamir was a human being, a child, who could have been any of our children and who was robbed of his life and therefore his future. Twelve years old. That's just a baby. A baby with a hole in his belly. This wrong must be made right. There's a basic respect for life that should have governed that day and which seems, in the video, shockingly absent from it. Not only is the shooting itself disturbing, but the failure to render aid is unconscionable. And this didn't just happen in Tamir's case. The same apathy about the immediate administration of care is echoed in other cases where black boys and men lay dying. After George Zimmerman shot Trayvon Martin, Zimmerman mounted the boy and stretched his arms wide. Martin was still alive. After officers choked Eric Garner until he fell unconscious, no one administered CPR. Instead, they checked his pockets. Garner was still alive. As Salon put it, after Darren Wilson shot Michael Brown through the head, Wilson didn't check to see if Brown, quote, was breathing or if he had a pulse, nor did he render aid in any way, shape, or form. The list goes on, quite literally, ad nauseum. The plaintive voices of the dead call the living to action. So in the demand for justice, timorousness must be the enemy, tirelessness must be the motto, and righteousness must be the compass. The world must be made to acknowledge that Tamir Rice's life mattered. Those are the words of Charles M. Blow writing in the New York Times on January 11, 2015, yesterday. December 28, 2015. Justice was again denied. Things have got to change because what we have here in this country is an epidemic. And now uh, we've reached, I think, critical mass where these two gun-related epidemics come together. The horrible trend of cops shooting instead of doing their jobs, along with the horrible epidemic of gun violence and deaths will let the sound do the talking 41 shots later gets her son ready for school she says only streets charles you've got to understand the rules if an officer stops you promise me you'll always be You'll never ever run away Promise mama you'll keep your hands inside Is it a gun? Is it a a knife? Is it a wallet? This is your life It ain't no secret It ain't no secret No secret, my friend Yeah.
encountered a man named Laquan McDonald. He was 17 years old and apparently had a knife in his hand, a four-inch knife, and he was trying to get away from officers. They tried to surround him and wait for Taser to arrive, but that never happened. And then an officer said he felt in fear of his life and opened fire. And what we're told is on this dash cam video, you'll see the officer shooting Laquan McDonald 16 times. There are reports that when Laquan McDonald was on the ground, the officer continued shooting. I'm not going to let this this issue drop. This this is you know we've got to do something about crazy people getting guns. And I you know and the problem that you guys have is that and, and I know it's the news businesses and this is a big story, but next week it isn't going to be a story anymore and everybody's going to forget it. But you mark my words, my mission in life. And I talked to the governor today. He called me and he said and I told him I said. I'm going to do something, whatever it takes, to get gun legislation to, to shame people, uh, to, the, the, to shame legislators into doing something about closing loopholes and background checks and making sure crazy people don't get guns. And he said, you go, I'm right there with you. So, you know, this is not the last you've heard of me. I got it. This is something that is Allison's legacy that I want to make happen. Here's what we do now. This is the 21st mass shooting in the United States in the past year in a great nation where you uh, and defi I define mass shooting so we know four or more people okay. in a great country that we love to live in where nevertheless you and I are 20 times more likely to be killed with a gun than people who live in any other developed country. We know how to fix it. Congress resolutely refuses to do it. But I think the terrain is changing under their heels. These things are happening so often and they're so severe that I think the public attitudes are shifting and politicians are going to have to catch up or they're going to have some tough questions. Obviously, our, our hearts go out to the victims and the families. The one thing we do know is that uh, you know, we have a pattern now of mass shootings in this country that has no parallel anywhere else in the world. And there are some steps we could take, not to eliminate every one of these mass shootings, uh, but uh, to improve the odds that uh, they don't happen as frequently. We spend over a trillion dollars and pass countless laws and devote entire agencies to preventing terrorist attacks on our soil, and rightfully so. And yet, we have a Congress that explicitly blocks us from even collecting data on how we could potentially reduce gun deaths. How can that be? We had, look, stuff happens, there's always a crisis, and the impulse is always to do something, and it's not necessarily the right thing to do. It feels like open season on black men in America, and I'm outraged. In fact, all Americans are at risk when bad actors in law enforcement use their guns instead of their heads. Despite bipartisan nationwide calls for action 
And despite my bills to reform the broken grand jury process, hold police accountable, and end militarization, and despite my colleagues' bills to encourage body cameras, this Congress does nothing. No hearings, no blue ribbon commissions, no nothing. I would like unanimous consent to enter this list of people killed by the police into the record so my colleagues will no longer ignore this crisis. Mr. Speaker, here are just a few names of our colleagues and neighbors and relatives. Walter Scott from North Carolina, Michael Brown from Missouri, Anthony Hill from Georgia, Tony Robinson from Wisconsin, Kevin Davis from Georgia, Nicholas Thomas, Georgia, Daniel Elrod, Nebraska, Antonio Zambrano Montes, Washington, David Kasnick of Pennsylvania, Jessica Hernandez, Colorado, Kevin Davis, Georgia, Dennis Grigsby, Texas, Romaine Brisbane, Phoenix, Tamir Rice, Ohio, Akai Gurley, New York, Carlos Perez, Nevada, Kajimi Powell, Missouri, Ezel Ford, California, Dylan Taylor, Utah, John III of Ohio, Nashisha Salis, Vincent of Colorado, Charlie Lando, Conning of California, and the list goes on. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. But I know one thing. If it were up to me, I'd take away the guns. I'd take away the guns. I'd take away the guns. We'll take a quick break and come back on the other side with Cliff Schachter as we look at the year in guns. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, filling in for Brad and Desi on the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. One more Nicole. She's on live Monday through Friday from 10 to noon Eastern time and repeating all day at RadioOrNot.com. Listen anytime. All right. Well, this is a gun-free zone. Just in case you were wondering, you found the broadcast. Brad and Desi are on vacation this week. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, your trusty fill-in host. And uh, what we're doing is, well, uh, looking at the year almost gone by, subject by subject. And unfortunately, 
you got to take the bad along with the good. The bad is staring us right in the face this week, as all eyes are on Cleveland, where the prosecutor said uh, the grand jury would not be pressing charges against anyone for the death of 12-year-old Tamir Rice, shot by a cop's gun last November as the 12-year-old was playing with a toy gun in a park. Sadly, guns in America is a subject I've covered way too often. Many times I have these long, in-depth discussions on my show with Cliff Schechter. Now, Cliff Schechter is a, an author, a columnist, uh, a pundit, a media mogul, and a PR maven at his PR firm, Libertas LLC. Uh, he's also, he works very closely with a number of groups who are looking to end our American love affair with guns. Well, yeah, we'll talk about the overall gun epidemic and, of course, what's happened. And the fact of the matter is, frankly, that that while it's depressing what occurs on a daily basis because of too many years of the NRA having kind of complete control of things and no pushback during a lot of the early 2000s against what they were doing, the truth of the matter is, is that, and I wrote a column on this for the Daily Beast a few, two or three weeks ago, that they're losing most of the time now. So there is hope. They're actually legislatively getting their butts handed to them, um, as well as uh, in many other places. The problem, of course, is simply just that we're now suffering the effects of what too many years of their having the playing field to themselves did to us. Um, but to speak specifically to the police issue, you know, I don't know if, <clears throat> I don't know if uh, it has gotten worse. It may just be that we know about it now. It may be that this is this is one of those dirty secrets that's existed. You know, I mean, my God, with enforced segregation, with the kinds of things that were going on for much of this nation's history, it was sort of, I think it was almost just that this was an expectation. So, you know, it wasn't that people were bringing this kind of thing up. Um, but, what I mean, there's nothing you, that you can say about what just happened in Cleveland except for it's utterly horrifying. And that, that, that the prosecutor there, McGinty, who's going to be running for re-election, should huh. be allowed nowhere near... Uh, being reelected and should have his butt booted out of there. And hopefully, as it will be an election year coming up this year with lots of other things going on, I'll have to add that one to my list. Um, I mean, I don't know what how much clearer it gets that police are lying and that police have just executed somebody than driving up to, to a 12-year-old boy and within one and a half to two seconds of getting out of a car, shooting him. I mean, they claimed that he'd said three times, they'd asked him three different right. times to hand over this gun and to and to, uh, to, you know, and that he reached for the gun in his waistband, and none of that's shown on the video. No. Um, no, and, and again, and it goes by so quickly. What they did in that press conference yesterday, and at Cliff, I don't know how much of it you watched, but they had it in slow motion, and they circle when when he reached to his waistband and right. and so the people watching it are like getting the impression oh this happened this you know even though y- you know it's in slow motion you think it it unfolded over a period of time it went by in a second and a half i'm sorry you can't say drop the gun drop the gun drop the gun sorry that's already over a second 
You can't do yeah, that, it doesn't, right? It, it, it's complete crap. It doesn't add and up. And this is a guy that had been disciplined in another police department and had a history. Yep. I mean, it couldn't be any more obvious than it is in this case that a guy that, that has no business being near a badge or a gun pulled up, saw somebody black, saw a gun, didn't stop to think about whether it could be a toy gun, how old the kid was, or whatever. He was black, he was guilty, he yep. was dead. Right. <clears throat> and, and, and frankly, then... And what makes me even more sick and, and you know, is the kind of stuff where I have to control my demons myself uh, and control the sort of more base thoughts about what I'd like to do to this guy if I ever saw him. Yeah. Because, of, because this was somebody's baby. I have, you know, and I tweeted this out the other night and it seems like it really uh, got a lot of response from people because if you just break it down and get past all the crap and all the politics of this, this is a little boy. I have two of them. Yeah. <clears throat> this was somebody's baby and they yeah. murdered him in cold yep. blood. Yep. And, he, you know, he... He he took this, you know, and Charles Blow wrote about it today, too. Well, actually, I mean, that Trump, can I just tell you something, Howie? That Charles Blow column was from January 11th, 2015. It's being tweeted around today. It's making the oh, rounds today. Okay. To me, a rise in the value of life. It's from January 11th, 2015. I read it at the beginning of the show because, I mean, he wrote this almost a year ago. And you look at what happened yesterday and Charles Blow got it. In January, two months after Tamir Rice was gunned down uh, and killed, um, and uh, you know, and I don't understand. You know what the problem is? The problem is we have prosecutors playing judge, uh, jury, and uh, defense. Uh, counsel right. in a grand jury hearing. Who regularly work with these police, right. who drink, have, get drinks with them, who are friends with them, you know. Who, who count on them part- to make their case exactly. in any other it, it, Every single one of these cases needs an independent prosecutor yep. who is not from anywhere close to that part of the country. That's right. Who, who is as far away from any conflicts of interest of knowing anybody who can come in and do their job. Every single one of these things. Because these guys clearly, considering 90 plus percent of people are indicted in, in these proceedings, except for when it's police, when it's only like 3% of the time or something outrageous like that. Clearly, they have no interest in, in, in holding these guys accountable. And so you, when you know that, then you can't let, allow this to continue because there will never be justice. And, I mean, all the details of that. But, I mean, you know, and I was saying this even before I reread, I, I just think the Charles Blow column kind of pulls it all together. Knowing what went on there, knowing the cruelty of these of these people, no, I mean, it, it it reads like, you know, segregation era South kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's sickening. And, and you know, sadly, from work I do with the Innocence Project in Ohio, I've had way too many experiences reading about things that Cleveland cops have done. It's not to say it doesn't happen everywhere. And I'm sitting in Cincinnati, and believe me, we have our own problems, as does every major urban Oh, that's right. You're in, in Cincinnati. You're in Cincinnati, not Cleveland. I'm in Cincinnati. Right, that is correct. Right, right, right. But Cleveland is, you know, it's in my state. I yep. know it well because yep. the work I do in, on the Innocence Project is the entire state. And the, by far, the largest number of people that were, were that were you know, locked away without any real proof that they did anything or was up, has been up there. And some of these cases are so egregious and they're all racially motivated for the, I mean, I shouldn't say all, but the vast majority of them um, where, you know, oh, it may not be that this guy did it, but he's black, probably did something else. You right. Know, throw him away. Right. Right. Uh, it's, it's just. Don't give them the benefit of the doubt. Don't, um, you know, check and see. But, you know, there, there are other things in, in the Tamir Rice case. Look, there, there was no excuse. And I heard an interview with a, with a, a former cop um, who said, you know, by the way, this cop who pulled up 
right next to Tamir Rice. If they got reports of somebody possibly armed, he broke every protocol. You don't get up that quickly. You don't get up that close. They should have uh, pulled up further away, surveyed the situation, checked it out. They, But the, the fact that they pulled up right on top of him, they left them no other action but to shoot. I mean, it, the, the whole thing was wrong. And, and this guy we had already learned was let go from his uh, previous job and the and the in his personnel record it said he should not be in law enforcement. Um right. And Cincinnati didn't bother to check with his previous employer. I mean there Cleveland, is so, uh, Cleveland. I'm sorry. There are so I mean, many you know, just so people know, believe me again, I could go off on plenty of things that happened here in Cincinnati. Right. Just and it's to, Cleveland. Yeah. Right. Um no, I mean uh, <laughs> Again, and that's a whole other thing, which is not just about independent prosecutors should be doing this, but you know, I'd rather not get to that point. I'd rather be at a point where we prevent these things from actually happening. And it just seems abundantly clear that there's just too many people on, a, on the police force that shouldn't be there. And I'm not an expert, and I'm not going to pretend I am. I'm not sitting there knowing what the numbers of recruits are versus who they need and whatever. But sorry, clearly, you know, whatever the problem is, whatever the issue is with, how, you know, if they're having trouble recruiting people or whatever, they need to figure something else out because putting ticking time bombs on the street with guns and giving them the kind of power over people's lives that these guys have clearly isn't working. It's a serious problem, and, and, and I, it always has been, I suspect. In fact, I'm quite sure. It's just we, we actually now are paying attention. We have video, and we care. Right. Um, we always should have, right. but now but, we but, do. And Cliff, yeah. it, it makes you wonder, though, how many of these incidents, how many uh, people, innocent uh, people, have been uh, shot and killed by cops when there's no video, and so we never oh know? Oh, God. We never know. I don't even, I mean, the astronomical, I mean, just think about all the times, you know, um, whether it's the more famous sort of situations like something like Serpico in New York mm. or, you know, Rodney King or some of the things that have become sort of famous, you know, when we think about this and then, and then just start to imagine that these are everyday doings, the corruption in police departments and that kind of thing. And again, before somebody implies that I'm saying differently. I'm not saying this is all police. I'm not even saying right. it's most of them. I don't really know how many is. I just know it's enough um, that, that you know, sensitivity training is not going to change this guy. Um, I mean, things like that, I mean, that's a Band-Aid. Sure, it's helpful, and I'm not saying we should, they, they shouldn't exist for everybody, but there are people that just shouldn't be on the police force, let's be honest, and they need to be weeded out. And this guy is a classic example. What I feel with this guy is what I feel like with every one of these cases when we talk about a mass shooting. And every single time, there's, a re, there's something that, that gave hints, well, frankly, well beyond hints, blaring mm-hmm. lights that this mm-hmm. is a person that should not have a gun. Uh, and yet we created a system that allowed them to get one. And it's the same thing with this. You know, there's always something, and you don't generally have to look very far. And in this case, it's right there from the former police department this guy was at. There's just no way he should have been allowed to stay in this profession. No, you're and absolutely right. They allowed this to happen. So what happens next? I mean, uh, first of all, if, if, if I read correctly, unless something happened in the last couple of hours, John Kasich, governor of Ohio, has not weighed in on what happened. Um, th- but there's no more, I mean, now that the, the grand jury won't indict, is there any, um, I guess they didn't have a trial, so Jeopardy wouldn't attach. Uh, if they could still, Kasich could appoint a special prosecutor, couldn't he? 
I think so. I'm not a lawyer, but I, as far right. as I know, first of all, you know, Kasich is, is against the odds trying to win a Republican primary yeah, where right. you were talking about the people that turn out in places like Iowa and New Hampshire to vote in Republican primaries at this point or really anywhere are, are basically neo-fascists at this point. They've really distilled it down to their base element in that party. And and their rule, you know, every, you know, you should really just add to the end of any sentence um, for black people, right? Because that pretty much, you know, so they they don't mind big government. They love it actually. They they love torturing people who are darker in, in complexion. Um, but in this case, if, if this is a white person who was shot by the ATF, oh my God, the NRA would be, the lights would be shining. They'd be sending out all their emails about a tyrannical government. But right. this is a, this is somebody shooting somebody black, so all the yeah. rules are different. Big government's just fine then, um, and so. Uh, you know, I, I just, I mean, everybody seems, likes Kasich because, you know, and his, on the Democratic side because they're comparing him to the other people. But I can tell you, somebody who lives in this state, yeah, when compared to Ted Cruz, Kasich seems like a cupcake. But when, when, when compared to just being a normal human being, he's not a good person who's done terrible things here, who's put guns in bars, who's passed yeah. 16 different abortion restrictions, yeah. making us one of the worst states in the country, who's just handed money, hand, you know, hand over fist to charter schools with no accountability, public money that's just disappeared, who's you know, appointed his cronies to all sorts of various positions they have no experience in and no knowledge of, and I could go on and on and on. So to think that John Kasich is going to do something here, I think no. would be to give John Kasich way too much credit. And if he proves me wrong, I will apologize for it. Um, I, I, I mean, but, you know, when things like what happened in Philadelphia and Mississippi with the three civil rights workers happened, the federal government came in and, and you know, on civil rights charges and appointed, uh, you know, and, and, and went after them. And I think that's what needs to happen here. I don't think it needs to be the state. I think it needs to be the federal government and, you know, let all these people scream and yell because, of course, then it'll be the black president and the black attorney general. And, you know, but they're going to make it all about race anyhow, so I don't really care. And, but the it, it thing is, come, I think you know, the federal government needs to, in a lot of areas, Obama over the last year or two has gotten a lot better at this stuff and realizing that it's not just about the legislation you pass. It's a, the bully pulpit has, it has a purpose, even if it's not getting legislation passed, because what you say, everyone pays attention to, and it changes the culture around things. When you say things, there, there are implicate, you know, there, there's a result to what you say that improves things, maybe just a little bit, just because you're the president and you're saying it. And I think it needs to, the statement that comes from up there not only needs to be that this is ridiculous and unacceptable, but it needs to be that in a number of these cities, and I'm sorry if that hurts his, his old buddy Rahm in Chicago yeah. or anybody else across the country, there just needs to be civil rights investigations into every one of these damn cases. Exactly. And that's the issue here. You know, there should be, and, and I don't trust Jessica, uh, what, Loretta Lynch. I think she's just Eric Holder in female form, sadly. Um, you know, the, the Justice Department is allegedly investigating police tactics in uh, not only Chicago, but also in Cleveland, if I, if I read that correctly. I don't, I, I'm not going to hold my breath. I think we need, you know, we, we need a civil rights task force because obviously, you know, while some of us thought things were getting better over the last few decades, they haven't. Maybe it's just gone underground. And now with, you know, the, the, the ugliness of Trump and his ilk, people right. feel more emboldened to wear their racism and bigotry in the open, open carry, as it were. And we need to, well, we need to just stamp it out. All this is the inherent, inherent 
uh, you know, white privilege, uh, to use a phrase, yeah. <laughs> in the fact that these guys, oh, you should have the right to carry around my gun. Meanwhile, African-American children can't carry around toy guns. Right. Um, but and the can, thing you know, is, you know, open carry uh, state, that's it. Ohio is an open carry state. So even if um, um, uh, Tamir Rice were older and it were a real gun, he wasn't breaking a law. No. I mean, that's, the, that's the, the ridiculousness of the current situation. Stunning. That's how egregious it is what happened to him, is that it happened to him, and, it, you know, quite clearly, this is a situation where uh, he, you know, I mean, he, he should have been. If, if that's what he had wanted to do, you know, he, obviously he'd need to be of age. Yep. He wanted to walk around with an assault weapon over his shoulder, oh, damn it. God. We've determined that's the right of a citizen to be able to do that. In this yeah, case, but maybe, sense. maybe this should prove that, you know, open carry is not safe. That's that. So Cliff Schechter, uh, we're, we're running out of time very quickly. Sorry, this is sort of our year-end wrap-up. But I, let me yep. ask you this, um, if you care to. Pull out your crystal ball and tell me what changes 2016 will bring uh, when it comes to guns and mass shootings and uh, police shooting unarmed black people and the like. I think there will be some sort of a civil rights task force because this kind of like the, the, the shootings that have happened, um, you know, in uh, the shooting, the ma- you know, mass shootings. And, and we've talked about the, the, you know, the need to change for change around that. I, I just think that these are going to keep happening. Obviously these police shootings, there's clearly inherent, uh, you know, racism is one thing, but just incompetence, maybe I'm trying to find the right words for it in these police departments around the country where uh, you mix racism with a lack of sort of people being, being professional, I guess, and, and it's going to continue to happen. So I, I almost, let me take out my crystal ball, crystal ball and say, I think there is going to have to be civil rights investigations that will come from the top. And I think it will happen. Um, I think when it comes, I think 2016 is actually going to be, you know, not, you know, I'm an optimist by nature, but I'm a realist, but 2016 with everything that's happened is going to be a kind of a watershed here when it comes to gun safety. We've had two ballot measures in Maine and Nevada, the one in Washington state, one with 60% of the vote in an off year when the NRA tried to trick people. These are, these, they can't corrupt every person the way they corrupt the legislators in the states. Um, I think that both of the, both of the states will resoundingly pass these measures you know, we blocked them on 15 of 16 campus carry bills this past year, and even the one they won in Texas got watered down. I mean, it shouldn't have passed at all, but it got watered down to the point where, they, you know, they, they can't carry in some buildings or whatever. I think we're going to continue to wallop them on the legislative level, and I think you're going to see a big year for people getting elected who run on this issue because I know, you know, let's just say that. There's going to be a lot going on. I think it's going to be, again, another year where women are going to, to fight back, and you're going to see that on Planned Parenthood and some of these things. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of activism this year. Um, I think Ted Cruz is going to be the Republican nominee. Do you? Um, wow. I do. Okay. Because of his organization in Iowa and his rhetoric that appeals to the base of that party, evangelicals. Um, what else? What else do you want to know? What else can I say? Um, that that's about it. I know I know you're a Hillary Clinton supporter, so you think she'll win? Uh, I do think she'll win. Um, but let me be very clear to anybody and everybody listening: I will happily, and you know, I will dance into the polling place if I get a chance in a general election to vote for Bernie Sanders. So anybody out there who's a, I will only vote for my person and then take my ball and go home, you know. <laughs> 
That's what, just remember what, what happened with Ralph Nader in 2000. That's all I have to say to you. If you want to make sure that we lock in an era of right-wing Supreme Court justices who take us further down the road, we've gone on all of these terrible issues from voting rights to guns to, to women's rights to, to the rest, then, you know, do that. Right. Uh, and make sure that, I mean, not to mention some people who think Hillary is, is too much of a hawk on foreign policy, which I do too. I happen to, I'm with more, this, where she is on certain social issues and other things is more important to me. Um, but for those who, are, who think she's too much of a hawk, and I do, and I hope she'll be restrained, what I can promise you is she might get us more involved internationally. Yep. Uh, the other side will. And, you know, and, you know, they're talking about shooting down planes, Russian airplanes, and they're talking, I mean, these are really incredibly stupid people who, uh, who, who are looking to, to make aggressive acts and have no idea what the consequences could be. So keep all that stuff in mind. Um, but yeah, I, I think Hillary will win overall. That is my thought. And if everything goes well and politics is crazy and crazy things happen, but mm. if we go in the straightforward direction that we should go in and there isn't some sort of a crazy economic crash or some of something of that nature that's sudden, I think if it's Cruz and Hillary, I think you'll be looking at states like Georgia and Arizona in play. Hmm. Uh, it'll be interesting, if nothing else. Um, and I hope Donald Trump implodes sooner rather than later. Although Ted Cruz ain't, uh, you know, he's no prize. Yeah, he's not much better. No, the no. problem. We only haven't heard as much about him because Trump's been out That's there. Right. People That's will be right. reminded of how terrible Cruz oh, yeah. is right. if I'm if I end up being right about that one. Raphael. Okay. Um, uh, Cliff Schechter, it is it is always a pleasure. I'm gonna when I let you go between uh, then and when I get Amy Simon on the line because we're gonna head into women's issues uh, that came to the forefront in 2015. Um, I, I'm gonna play a new PSA that was just released that's got garnered a bit of. Uh, controversy. It, it's put on, uh, put out by Every Town for Gun Safety. They have a URL mm-hmm. set up, everytown.wecanendgunviolence.org, and it features a lot of public figures and uh, some people who have been touched by gun violence in their own families, holding up pictures of you know their family members who were killed. Um, do you do you know the promo, the PSA I'm talking about? I might. Is it the one with the NBA players? Or yes, with the, it's with the NBA players. Now, I'm not I a sports person. So if you can set it up and tell us, why, why was this controversial? Because NBA players were, were uh, talking about gun, sensible gun laws? I don't think it, I mean, you know, it was only controversial as far as I know for people on the right. Right. Because, because they hate it. I mean, you know, here you've got famous uh, figures, many of whom are African-American, can speak directly to the African-American community, which mm-hmm. the NRA has been trying to gain ground and even as they demonize them. And they realize the power of some of these figures, just like actors and others have gotten involved. So it's controversial because to the NRA, you know, any talk about actually preventing people from dying is politicizing it, which is funny because that's exactly what they've done since the late 70s, early 80s, is taking an issue that should be a public health issue and completely politicized it. So exactly. And so the, now the there's a new... The is, if it's controversial, okay. it just means the NRA is accusing you of doing what they're already doing. Yeah. Oh, I hear you. And Cliff Schechter, there was a, sort of a, a meme of sorts going around, and I did it before I even knew it was a thing. Uh, with all the the criticism, seeing the Republican criticism, you know, don't politicize it. You politicize it, and I've said, and I tweeted it, and I Facebooked it. If I am ever killed by a bullet, politicize the hell out of it. Make yep. me, uh, make my death um, a, a rallying cry. Use it to get the laws changed. Period. I, End of story. 
Couldn't agree more. Cliff Schechter, you're the best. Happy New Year, my buddy. You too. Thanks so much for having me on. Cliff Schechter, certainly uh, this is one subject that keeps him very busy. All right. So what did the year bring us in the fight against global climate change? We'll find out as the Green News Report brings us their year in review coming up next. I'm Nicole Sandler in for Brad and Desi on the broadcast. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Bradcast. Ah, and nature is telling us something's wrong. The planet is sick, and we've made it that way. So, as we uh, get close to the end of the year, and we're talking about the different big news stories of the year, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk climate change. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, in for Brad and Desi on today's broadcast. And yes, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about climate change. But I live in Florida, where officially you can't say the term climate change. Okay, well, I can. But if I worked in the state government, I wouldn't be allowed to. So I'm going to play for you a little piece of tape. It was from March of this year in Tallahassee. It was the Florida legislative session, and uh, they were talking about disaster management. Florida's disaster management chief was testifying before the Florida Senate. And you'll notice he used the word climate change, and the senators decided to have a little fun with him. The reason being, Governor Voldemort, I'm sorry, Rick Scott, had passed an edict You want to work in Florida state government? You are not allowed to use the term climate change. You were in D.C. last time when we when we uh, went through this particular issue. And and as you said, this is federal. These are federal funds. Did you are you familiar with the new uh, procedures that FEMA issued just this week dealing with uh, climate change and the 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 fact that they're going to be requesting or demanding that states have a climate change plan uh, before they're going to to issue some of these preparedness dollars. What were those words, Mr. Chairman? What were those words you were using? I used climate change, but I'm suggesting that maybe as a state we use atmospheric reemployment. That might be something that (laughs) the governor could get behind. Uh-oh. So... My worry, obviously, it was was with these dollars, but in, in, in a more general sense, that we as a state have to come up with some sort of plan in order to be able to make sure we keep our, our preparedness dollars for hurricanes. I'm assuming that is something that you are going to be speaking with the governor about and, and trying to take up so that we make sure we don't lose our dollars in the future. Uh, yes, Senator, and our next uh, state mitigation plan is due to the feds in 2018, so we have some time uh, in which to have that conversation. So even though that takes place, the, the edict starts kind of in, in March of 2016, we don't have to... That's correct. But what what, what my understanding is at this point is it will require that future versions of our mitigation plan will be required to have uh, language discussing that issue. What issue is that? Uh, the issue that you mentioned earlier regarding. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so much. 
they're just they're just a, as much fun as a barrel of monkeys up there in Tallahassee, aren't they? Yeah, so funny that in Florida, the state that will likely be underwater before I die, um, you're not allowed to say the term climate change. But that's not the most reprehensible of all of the, you know, climate change deniers. No, in fact, this was just a couple of weeks ago. In the wake of COP21, the big uh, Paris climate change conference, Karl Rove was on Fox News Sunday and said this. Carl, what's wrong with this agreement? And is there anything in it that's useful? It calls for no net new emissions to be, that's the target, 2050 to 2080. We'll all be dead. And uh, very few of the people who are sitting in Paris will be alive at that point, I suspect, when, when we hit to 2080. So we'll all be dead. The people, the negotiators in Paris, they're going to be dead. It's not like any of us have children or grandchildren. Oh, wait. But it's Karl Rove. I guess Karl Rove can't reproduce. And that's good for all of us. All right. I kid. Seriously. Want to know what happened this year in climate news? Let's leave it to the experts, shall we? Green News Report special coverage. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this is our 2015 Green News Report Year in Review. Well, Desi Doyen, there has been a lot of green news in 2015, so we covered a lot of ground here on the GNR over the past 12 months, six minutes at a time. Yep, so before 2015 and its landmark events slip into the history books, a quick review of just some of the most important environment and energy stories of the year. In six minutes and in no particular order. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, otherwise known as NOAA, announced the planet has already warmed by one degree Celsius over pre-industrial levels. That rise fueled record-breaking extreme weather in 2015, including killer heat waves on four continents. In the U.S., the hottest summer on record triggered a record wildfire season across the West and in Alaska. California's historic drought, where we are, triggered the first ever mandatory water restrictions in the state. Elsewhere, there was biblical flooding from Britain to Chile to Texas to South Carolina. 2015 saw the most extreme hurricane season on record globally. The warmest ocean temperatures ever recorded generated the highest number of Category 4 and 5 hurricanes ever recorded in the Pacific. In the Middle East, Yemen saw its first ever hurricanes, two Category 5s in just two weeks. Almost every month in 2015 was the hottest ever recorded for that month. July 2015 was the hottest month ever recorded on the planet. 2015 will most likely surpass 2014 as the hottest year on record. Prices for solar power plummeted and installations skyrocketed. Global oil and coal prices crashed, leading to one of the nation's largest coal companies, Alpha Natural Resources, to declare bankruptcy. Coal boss Don Blankenship was convicted of conspiring to violate mine safety laws in the deaths of 29 miners. In a 2010 mine explosion, an oil giant BP agreed to a $20 billion settlement for their 2010 Gulf oil spill 
that killed 11 men and devastated the Gulf Coast. 2015 saw another rash of oil train explosions across the country and another major oil pipeline spill in Santa Barbara, California. Kayaktivists in Seattle delayed Shell Oil's massive offshore drilling rig from heading to the fragile Arctic. After coming up empty, Shell finally abandoned plans to drill the Arctic and President Obama rejected all future permits for Arctic offshore drilling. He also introduced the landmark Clean Power Plan, the nation's first ever carbon emission standards for power plants, with the goal of cutting emissions 30 percent by 2030. New Zealand and Britain announced they'll phase out coal as an energy source. China pledged to peak its greenhouse gas emissions by 2030 and will launch a national cap-and-trade emissions system. 2015 also brought political sea change. In Australia, Conservative Prime Minister Tony Abbott, a coal-promoting climate science denier, was kicked out of office. And in Canada, progressive Rachel Knott was elected premier of Alberta, home of the dirty tar sands oil fields, and she announced plans for a tax on carbon. Nationally, progressive Justin Trudeau unseated the long-serving, fossil-fuel-loving Stephen Harper as Canada's prime minister. Paving the way for President Barack Obama to finally reject the controversial Keystone XL tar sands pipeline that would have shipped dirty tar sands oil across the U.S. German carmaker Volkswagen was caught using secret software to cheat on emissions regulations. And blockbuster investigations revealed Exxon's own scientists warned the company of the catastrophic dangers of global warming back in 1977. Exxon executives then chose to obscure their own science by spending millions to mislead the public about the facts of climate change. Democratic presidential candidates and members of Congress are now calling for prosecution of Exxon's alleged conspiracy and fraud, similar to the case against Big Tobacco. Pope Francis issued the first-ever papal encyclical on climate change and delivered the first-ever papal address to Congress, calling on U.S. lawmakers to take action as a moral obligation. In 2015, greenhouse gas emissions actually declined globally for the first time when the world was not in recession, and the tree huggers at Citigroup concluded that switch to clean energy now will cost less than fossil fuels over the long run. Finally, 2015's thrilling conclusion. After 21 years of negotiations, nearly 200 nations gathered in Paris in the wake of terror attacks and emerged with a comprehensive global climate agreement to cut the greenhouse gas emissions that cause global warming. The hard work now begins, but the Paris Agreement creates the framework for a transition to a global clean energy economy and hopefully marks the end of the fossil fuel era. And now we all hope that that transition comes in time to stave off the worst effects of climate change that we have known about for decades, but are only now, after years of denial and inaction, coming to grips with as a nation and a world. We'll always have Paris. Desi Doyen, I thank you for your tireless and extraordinary coverage over the past year, past almost eight, actually. And my thanks to you for all the snark. You're welcome. For more on all of our 2015 coverage and beyond, stop by our website at greennews.bradblog.com and follow us every day on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. Our thanks to all of you who have helped us continue our non-commercial work by donating at bradblog.com slash donate. Indeed. From Desi and me to you and yours, here's to a happy and healthy new year. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your 2015 Year in Review Green News Report. The fundamental things apply as time goes by. Uh, Brad and Desi are off for a well-deserved vacation. They will be back in early 2016. 
All right. Uh, you know, one other thing to keep in mind when we're talking about climate change is the fact that there are some of us who will do everything we can to mitigate the effects so that, you know, uh, future generations can live on this planet as well. And others, well, they have no desire to live in reality. All we need to do is go back about eight years to the Republican convention and remember this moment. President Obama promised to begin to slow the rise of the oceans. That's so funny. Wow. And to heal the planet. My promise is to help you and your family. You know what? Mitt or anybody who wants to be president, the best way you can help me and my family is to, um, you know, stop the rise of the ocean and heal the planet. No laughing matter. One last thing before we sign off for the day, and this from the, whoops, we made a mistake department. Thanks to everyone who reached out to tell me that Lester Holt, yes, he of the enormous forehead, was not the first African-American network news anchor. That would be Max Robinson, who was part of the ABC World News Tonight um, uh, anchor team back in the 70s. So... Uh, I got that one wrong. But really, a whole generation has passed since the last time an African-American anchored one of the network nightly news programs. I say that's too long, um, but there you have it. All right, with that, we are done for today. But never fear, there's another broadcast tomorrow. Lots more big news and stories that we covered throughout the year to tackle on our year in review. So uh, same Brad time, same Brad channel. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com. Once again, in for Brad and Desi on the Bradcast. Until next time, to quote Brad Friedman, good luck, world.